Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ever think about how Dracula got to London from Romania? Bram Stoker's classic novel actually gives a chilling account of the journey by ship, in which Dracula stalks the entire crew on board, terrorizing them one by one. Sounds spooky, right? Get ready for the movie version of this ill-fated voyage, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, directed by Andre Overdahl, the guy who directed scary stories to tell in the dark. It's unlike any Dracula story we've seen before. Truly terrifying. The Last Voyage of the Demeter is only in theaters on August 11th. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In today's case, I'm going to need you to pay really close attention to the cast of characters that we're going to talk about today so that we can fully understand why we say black representation matters in law enforcement. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime In It. The beautiful Tamla Horsford was born in 1978 in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So she was Caribbean. When she was 11, her family immigrated to Bronx, New York, where she stayed in the U.S. for the remainder of her life. She met her husband somewhere in Florida. He already had a daughter from a previous marriage. The two of them lived in Georgia, where they had five boys between them. And of course, her stepdaughter, her youngest son was only four at the time of when this case began. Described as a people person, she was like a social butterfly and she loved just being the center of the party. She, she was very well loved by all her family and friends. So it was no surprise when Tamla was invited to an adult slumber party to honor the birthday of, of Jeanne Myers. Tamla knew Jeanne and the other party goers as they were all football moms together. All their boys were on the same football team and they bonded through that. And it was an adult slumber party because Jeanne did not want the women to drink and drive. She wanted everyone to be safe and spend the night. 12 women were invited, but only eight decided to spend the night. It was supposed to be a women-only event. Gian's boyfriend at the time, Jose Barrera, and another partygoer's husband, Tom Smith, were actually hanging out there all night. Those two guys were just watching football in the basement. And so they weren't with the party, but they were on the property. The ladies were just having a great time that night. There was lots of drinking. When you look at photos, they all have little, you know, wine glasses. They watched football because remember they're football moms. So they loved football and they bonded over that. And they even played cards of 
Against Humanity, which is such a fun party game. And so they were just having a good time. And through the night, the consensus was that Tamla was just having a good time. And Tamla was thoroughly enjoying herself because she planned on spending the night. She changed into like these like dog print like onesie pajamas so super cozy and fun just explains her personality really well she drank a lot she also bought some marijuana with her to smoke she was smoking marijuana and cigarettes that night now the owner of the house Jeanne, did not really like tamla smoking pot at the party in fact she said hey my boyfriend jose does not agree with this because at the time jose was a parole officer she kind of like just in jest made fun of tamla comparing her to bob marley which i thought was very odd but after reading further and finding out that Tamla was Caribbean it's still odd okay it's odd there's nothing good about that but she tried to be like like funny in her confrontation of hey I don't appreciate you smoking pot in my house fair enough you know that's a fair enough thing to be concerned about especially in a state they're in Georgia FYI especially in Georgia where it's not legal so around midnight all the women in the house began falling asleep. Tamla was the last one known to be awake because she wanted one more cigarette before bed, which, you know, a lot of cigarette smokers do. They have one more before bed. And I said she's the last known because this house has door chimes. When you have a home security system, a lot of times they monitor which doors are being opened and closed, usually doors that lead outside of the home. And right before Tamla went to smoke her cigarette, it has been noted that there was a lot of the door opening and closing. And it's assumed that because they were having a party with 12 drunk women, they're assuming that someone in the house was just cleaning up after the party. But we don't know that for a fact. That's just the assumption here. So as far as we know, Tamla went out for her cigarette and she essentially did not come back alive. That next morning, Jeanne's aunt who lives with her was making her daily coffee when she noticed a white figure laying face down on the grass. And it was Tamla. In fact, she is quoted as saying, there is something wrong with your Caribbean friend, which I found weird that they like just called her the Caribbean friend. I mean, her name is very easy to remember. It's Tamla. Like, I think they called her Tammy. Like, it's very easy, like, American name. I, I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't get it. But, you know, and from there, this really sketchy 911 call was made by Jose and GN. And I'm going to play it right now. Okay, what's going on? Um, we had people over last night when we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking, and we just went out outside, and she's laying face down in the backyard. It looks like me. I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay. Is she breathing? I, I don't. I don't know if she's face down. Okay. How, how old is she? At 41. Here, hold on. Hey, this is Jose Barrera. Hey, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? She's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. Um, okay. I just tried to assess her, touch her. She's completely face down in the yard. Um, 
she is stiff. Okay. Do you know if she, um, um, do you see any blood or anything? Where she... Are you there? I am. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not... I was outside. It's okay. I'm not sure what happened to Alana for a second. Do you see any blood or anything to where, from where she fell? Um, I, I don't know if I should move her over. I mean, she's completely face down. Okay. I mean, can you just check and see if she's breathing? If, if she's not breathing and you, and you know she's gone, then just leave her where she's at. If she... Okay. One minute. Uh, I'm completely not sure. Okay. And that's the only blood that you would see? That's what I can see without moving her over. I haven't okay. seen her face. Um, do you know if she, um, do you know if she was suicidal at all? I have no clue. I've met her one other time. Um, you know, like my girlfriend said, people were over last night. <laughs> um, just, we were at, she was, her birthday party, we are not the woman that we believe to be deceased, but it's my girlfriend's birthday party. Instead of having everybody go out, she had everyone stay in. And she was the last one I saw before everybody, I mean, everybody was typically put off to bed. She was the last one in the kitchen. She was just either waiting around for a ride or waiting until the morning. Okay. How far is the, um, where she would have fell from, how far is the deck from the ground? Um, I would probably say... Maybe 20 feet. Okay. You know, 20 feet from where your feet would be on the railing. The railing itself is maybe three and a half, four feet. So this call is sketchy. Uh, something that I do not like about it is the verbiage that Jose and GN used. They just kept repeating how stiff the body was and that she was clearly dead. That's not usually the way you describe your friend after they are deceased. Usually you are really upset. You're not using such clinical verbiage. Jose is a parole officer. He doesn't work in forensic. He's probably not going to see a body all the time. And just the way he describes it was very forensic and almost very calculated in practice. Also, during the 911 call, he claims that Tamla was clearly deceased, but he was instructed by the 911 operator to kind of like touch her and see if she's breathing. And he did that under her instruction. And this is all in the actual recording supplied by the state of Georgia. Also, during this 911 call, Jeanne makes the observation that Tamla is completely face down, her head in the grass, her palms at her side facing up. It kind of looks like she may have took a nosedive. And what's interesting about this is that when police get there, her body isn't in that position. One arm is down at her side and the other is slightly extended and bent as if reaching with the hands clenched, not face up palm, which is very odd because if they're saying she's stiff and if they did move the body to see if she was alive, it wouldn't change the palm from stiff to clenched. We know the body moves in tenses and pulses post-mortem. But it doesn't clench a whole fist like it's got to punch somebody. Like it, 
it doesn't make any sense. And so when police get there and the 911 call had been examined, they realized that was a discrepancy. So now let's talk about what police and the medical examiner found. So the lead on this case was Corporal Michael Christian. Is CPL? Is that Corporal? I think CPL is Corporal. He has CPL before his name. Michael Christian was the lead on this case, and he was the one there um, doing the initial examination of the body while still at the scene. And he found some interesting takes. He saw that Tamla had uh, scrapes on her shins that matched a landscaping border. And I don't know exactly what the landscaping border looks like, but it was shin height. And it most likely like brick and the scallop type of edge thing. But in the description, they call it a landscaping border. And he saw that these scrapes matched the border that was near the body and was and was able to conclude that Tamla died tripping over this shin length landscaping divider. Now, this is so weird because how do you make that observation on the scene? And then Christian even went as far as telling the family that that's most likely how she died. Of course, the medical examiner sees this note and is just like, no, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. The medical examiner actually notices that there's a balcony right above the body and he says her fractures and broken bones was consistent with a fall from the balcony this is what he said in the report she had cuts on her wrist face and lower legs and she had laceration to the right ventricle of her heart um, she had a cut on her wrist that Jose mentioned during the 911 call that may have been self-inflicted. However, there's no evidence that Tamla would self-harm. And in one of the photos, you can see a bone sticking out of her wrist. So the body is beat up and it does not look anything like someone tripped over a brick scalloped land. It's it's so bizarre that he decided to tell the family this. And then upon Christian telling the family that she tripped over a essentially a brick and died that way, Christian then got upset when the family said that makes absolutely no sense. And he claims that this kind of sparked a distrust with the police. And this is why the family distrusted the police so much when in reality, they distrusted the police because his claim was completely false, unfounded. And you're not supposed to tell the family, this is how your loved one died before the medical examiner is there to to check that. I've never heard of a case where a police officer took it upon himself to say the cause of death to the grieving loved ones. After telling the family this, and after the family saying this doesn't make any sense, the medical examiner actually sides with the family and says her injuries are too severe to match a fall that was at ground level. It just, there's just no way. She had a bone sticking out of her wrist. Just no way. It makes absolutely no sense how Christian came up with this with this finding to the point where he wrote it down, believing that it was correct. He either sounds like the dumbest person or the most corrupt person, which we will get into that later. Something to note is that she had bones sticking out of her wrist, and yet there was absolutely 
very little blood at the scene, which is weird because an injury like that would produce more blood. But still, there was like no evidence that the body was dragged or picked up and moved in place there. Obviously, she was moved at one point because during the 911 call, Jose was instructed by the 911 operator to make sure she was still breathing. But other than that, there was no sign that she was dragged, picked up, moved or whatever. So the medical examiner does his examination. And unfortunately, he also does not do a thorough job. Just like Christian, he makes mistakes that make him either look like the dumbest or the most corrupt. First, he only took five photos of the examination, which is so bizarre because usually they take many, many photos, especially in a death that is uncertain. They need to take many photos to back up their claims. He only took five. And I just don't understand how that would help anything. Like, why bother at that point? But he found that her blood alcohol level was three times higher than the legal limit, just shy three times higher, actually. She had THC in her system and she had aprozolam. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's an anxiety drug. So she had quite a few substances in her system at the time of death. And she was because she was just shy three times under the legal limit, usually that level of intoxication is accompanied by vomiting, swaying, disorientation. And so the medical examiner concluded that she most likely died accidentally when she was went on the balcony to smoke and they actually found an unlit cigarette and lighter on the balcony and that she went up there to smoke and then somehow either leaned over to, th to vomit or something and fell over the balcony where she essentially nosedived and landed face down. Now, before he wrote up this report, before the medical examiner can even officially say this, police was already ruling her death an accident, which again, looks like either the dumbest thing or the most corrupt thing. How can you say that before the medical examiner is even done with the exam, especially when you're basing your observation on someone who thought that she fractured, like she had a laceration in her heart. He thought that 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 this body that was clearly beaten up tripped over a brick. It's just, I don't understand. It just, to me, a lot of this looks like the laziest police work I've ever seen in my life. And though many people point to a cover-up, I just, I'm going to get into this later, but I just don't see any evidence of that. But I do see a lot of evidence of negligence, probably fueled by racism, seeing that she was a black woman, the only one at the party in a very white neighborhood, that a city Cummings it was very white. In fact, in 1912, they had a complete cleansing of all the black people that lived in the county to the point where there was maybe just over a dozen black folks living there in the 90s. So it was a very racially charged environment to live in. And it didn't help that she was the only black woman there, whether or not the people there did anything to her or whether it was a hate crime or anything like that. You have to look into how someone who grew up and lived in service community, like a police officer, a medical examiner, will just automatically 
have biases just because they live in that environment with very little representation, especially in the South. So you really have to look at that and just see even if they weren't necessarily trying to be corrupt, there really was no way that they weren't corrupt or biased by her race. Now, Tamla's family is extremely critical of the police and of all the party goers, specifically of Jose and Gian, Gian being the homeowner and Jose being her boyfriend, who is a parole officer. A friend at the party named Stacy Smith is also critical about what police believed happened to Tamla versus what really happened. In fact, Stacy firmly believes that it was foul play. And she says in an interview that it would have taken, and I quote, an enormous amount of alcohol to knock her off her exploitative, you can guess. And she goes on to say, I mean, I've been on that deck like a million times. Like I've looked and I've tried and inferring that she tried to make herself fall over the deck and she just couldn't in any way that she tried. Stacy claimed that she wasn't acting drunk at all. She was very steady and wasn't more than it didn't seem like she was more than a little tipsy, which again, that is a human observation. Okay, she was almost three times over the legal limit. That is a lot that is inebriated. Okay, but they did like her loved ones did say she was a heavy drinker and can hold her alcohol. But just because you can hold your alcohol doesn't mean that that person isn't drunk. People like to believe that you can build this tolerance, but really tolerance is just relative and really you're still drunk. When you do the breathalyzer test, you're still just as drunk as the average person. So just keep that in mind. I don't put a lot of stock in the people saying she had a high tolerance because that means absolutely nothing at the end of the day. It means nothing, scientifically, that is. But two months after these, this initial investigation, a change.org petition was started. And this petition states, there are several issues with this investigation. First, the lead supervising investigator, Andy Kalin, was friends with one of the persons of interest, Jose Barrera, who I'm going to stop here and say that's the boyfriend, remember? Andy Kalin, a personal friend of the sheriff, was hired after Ron was elected sheriff. Andy had no prior police experience, but was hired at a high position, bypassing the Forsyth County New higher protocol, which includes a polygraph background testing, etc. And it goes on to say how uh, several members at the party may have been associated with the sheriff, but a lot of these claims have been denied. So from there, things are just quiet. The case is actually closed and is filed under accidental and the family is just expected to move on. But then the whirlwind of 2020 happens with the George Floyd protests and people began re-examining these cases of mysterious deaths. And this is when people begin to look and scratch their head and realize that Tamla did not get a fair investigation. At this point, the family attorney 
releases a statement and says, witness statements are in conflict. A potential subject handled the body as well as the evidence prior to law enforcement arriving and evidence was disposed of and no inquiry followed. The scene was not preserved. And so let me explain what this means. A potential subject handled the body and which is Jose. And he handled the body because he was allegedly making sure that she was still alive. So I don't really see that as a problem. But what I do see as a problem here is when they said the scene was not preserved and evidence was disposed of. Now, I'm not 100% sure what they mean by that, as that's pretty much where that quote ends. But we do know that the medical examiner did not conduct a rape kit, nor did he check under fingernails. And so this evidence was thrown out because they buried it with the body. They did not save any of this. The scene was never preserved like a typical death scene would be. I'm going to have to whisper this next part because my son is like keeps waking up. I think he hears me, but the show must go on. I'm going to try to like edit this in post-production. But anyway, so with all of this new attention to the case in 2020, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation publicly announced that they were reopening Tamla's case. But only a year later in 2021, they announced that they concluded this case and ruled it again accident. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation goes on to state there was no evidence that anyone else was responsible for Miss Horsford's death or that foul play was in any way involved. The facts overwhelmingly indicated that she died as a result of a of a tragic accident. Therefore, that concludes the police involvement in that matter. And at this point, Christian admit that part of the reason why everyone's distrusting him and the police is because he made the mistake of telling the family that he believes that their loved one tripped and fell to their death. Um, when in reality, he had no forensic evidence to back this up. He was not a forensic examiner. And he was just guessing in using dodgy observational skills. And unfortunately, he clearly is missing the point. What he's missing the point in is that there's so much to this case that just was ignored. Just last month in June of 2022, we got new evidence for this case. Tamla's family had their own medical examiner examine her body. And this medical examiner found some things that was starkly different from the original examiner. Uh, and he concluded that there was, and this is a quote from, from Ralph E. Fernandez, Tamla's family's lawyer. And Fernandez states, there is no evidence of any significant injuries to the skull and bones. And this raises the flag, the cause of death as falling from the second story of a building. And so what he's saying in this quote is that Tamla's skull had no fractures or anything in it. And usually when you fall and they believe that she dived head first and landed face first with a fall like that from a second story, you expect to have some broken bones 
bones in your head and skull and fractures and Tamla had none, but she had other broken bones that could have been sustained from a eagle attack. And this is what her family believes. Tamla family believes that she was murdered and that her body was moved there and staged to look like an accidental fall. And the reason why they believe her body was moved, because remember that bone that was sticking out of her wrist that should have been bleeding, but there was very little blood at the scene. This made many internet sleuths and family conclude that the body was possibly moved. Now, in my opinion, there is absolutely no evidence to back any of this up. Usually when a body is moved, there's blood, there's drag marks, there's something to indicate that this is what happened. But at the same time, you have to realize the scene was not secured because police concluded it was an accident from the beginning. Now, shortly after this case, Christian, who was the investigator who believed that she tripped over a brick, was actually fired from his job for using his company emails to email his girlfriends and tell them confidential information about the case. Um, and then he also used his car as a hookup spot. So this guy, again, rem- remember when I said he's either the dumbest or the most corrupt? I am getting dumbest vibes here. I just can't. I just don't have enough information to conclude that she was attacked. But I do have enough information to conclude that the investigation was absolute trash. Between the five photos taken for her for her autopsy, between the fact that police told family immediately that she tripped over a brick and died to the point where no one was taken as witnesses or suspects, The fact that they concluded that she most likely died of accidental circumstances before the medical examiner completed his his report. That's weird. These are all things that I find unprecedented, things that I have never examined in the year that I have been doing this podcast. And so because of that, I can confidently say that Tamla did not get the investigation that she deserved. And because of that, we have very little answers. And because of that, we may not get any answers. My name is Sophia Tally, and this has been True Crime in Knit. For more information, including show notes, please visit www.thedrugtheater.com slash true crime. Stay safe, my friends. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. It's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show, Freaking Rocks. Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Stroh Show. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast, available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports Channel. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.